my brother dying from addiction. I'm Tim's story, and I'm working with Robert Downey and Charlie Sheen and everybody else. And yet my own brother died from addiction. So I would say that was like the punch that almost finished me, where I just said, damn, this is not good. Because I thought he was going to live. everybody. So I don't think there could be a more perfect guest for our podcast than the gentleman who's here with us today. So Tim Story, also known as the comeback coach, knows exactly what you need to do to overcome any setback. I was looking at the list of your coaching clients. I mean, you're a legend, man, helping the lives of celebrities like Kanye, Robert Downey Jr., Lee Iacocca. I know the list goes on and on, but I just want to welcome you and just tell you how much of a blessing it is that you made the time and space for Darren and I today. What a privilege, for real, Donnie. I think the main thing is we all have our own journey, right? And for a lot of us, we started off with at least a little bit of momentum and then something hit that I call life interruptions. It could be somebody got ill in your family or you got sick or somebody got divorced or somebody died. And then we have to try to figure our way out. And Donna, you've been through it. Darren's been through it. I've been through it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And typically on, on our show, we walk through, we can use the recovery model, even though many of our guests aren't technically in recovery of what your life is like, what happened and what your life is like now. But I, I, I want this session to really take a different turn because I think there's just so much value you can add. Obviously, you have your own comeback. Everybody has a comeback story. That's why we started this podcast. Everybody yeah. has a comeback story within them. But can you just talk a little bit about, we don't need to dive deep into the, the childhood and what we typically ask on our first few questions. But what would you say like early on, who was one of your first real teachers? Yes, I think that for me, because structure was missing in my family in certain areas, because I think that there was like too much going on. You had uh, a mother and a father, five kids. So they were just like grinding it out to make ends meet. So when that happens, like things begin to decay and things are like denied. <laughs> and so one of the things, it was never really talked about, like, did you do your homework or let me see your homework? I never remember having a conversation like that. So I would say my school teachers starting in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade and sixth grade, they saw something in me and they really just started talking to me about my classwork at school and really showing me that they believed in me. And as all of us know, guys, we don't need everybody to believe in us. Sometimes we just need one person. So I will say that my teachers, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, all of them really played a big part in my growth. 
Mm. Yeah, I think we all have teachers. Some of them are teaching us what not to do. And then some of them are leading by example and then really being an inspiration. Can you just walk us through for many of the listeners that don't know your story, just share a little bit about like the Cliff Notes, very small version of what happened that really set up your perspective shift and just how what happened in your life was maybe how you handled it was different than your siblings. Yes. I think that when you have a setback, you have choices. You could sit in it. That's what most people do. They sit in it and they talk about, man, I'm in this setback. Look how bad it is. And then you're with other setback people and they start sharing stories. So some people sit, some people settle. Settle is not a good place. Settle is like that song that I like by Bono and you too. You've been stuck in a moment and now you just can't get out of it. So what I find with a lot of people that we grew up with is that they settle in their setback and they're like, I went to prison and now I got to say felon. Or I'm working through this challenge and I guess it's always going to be that way. Or I got divorced. I guess I got to call myself a divorcee. And I don't see it that way. I feel like while you're feeling the sting of your setback, God is preparing your comeback. And I really believe this in Psalms 103 when it says that God does not treat you as your sins deserve. So a lot of people, they like to treat people based on what they did wrong. Like, he did that, I treat him this way. She did that, I treat him. That's not even in God's universe. He doesn't even deal like that. So for me, I became pretty famous for helping people not to sit, not to settle in their setback, and definitely not to do the third one, which is to cement yourself in the setback. But man, I, I, I think that while you're feeling the sting of the setback, God's preparing the comeback. So I get to see millions of people come back, not 10, millions. What do you think it was in your younger years? What were some of the natural gifts or the awarenesses that allowed you to be so effective and to have that perspective that maybe your siblings didn't have or the people around you didn't have? That's a great question, first of all. I remember one time in sixth grade, we were doing long distance running. I was good at, at short and long. But in the, in the short distance, it was me, a guy named Vince, and Don that were always one, two, three. But it, it always varied who was first, second, or third. Long distance, it was me and a guy named Don, but that sucker had some long legs. Like he was already almost like six one in the sixth grade. I mean, his legs were just out there. But this particular day in this race in PE, long distance, I had him. And he never liked me to be ahead because he knew I was going to beat him. So I got ahead of him. And it was very competitive because we were both good athletes. And while I was coming around the corner, I saw this kid, Freddie, and he was down like this. We later found out he was having an asthma attack. And we came around the corner again, and Freddie was still like this, but it looked bad. But no one was paying attention. And I was beating Don, which I only did one every four times in the long distance. And I stopped. And I ran to Freddie and I go, are you okay? He says, I can't breathe. And I said, do you have an inhaler? And he goes, yes. He says, it's in the locker. Now, how would I know that? Because my sister 
had chronic asthma, my older sister. And we used to have to take her to the children's hospital a lot. So how wild is that, that I'm an athlete and I'm beating the guy that I wanted to beat, but my heart stopped to help Freddie. So I, I yell at the teacher and I said, Freddie's having an asthma attack, okay? We get Freddie's inhaler and, and literally may have saved the kid's life. And it was moments like that where I realized that, man, I'm a humanitarian. I love the underdog. I like the person who looks like they're not going to win. And I've been that way ever since. I will stop my winning to make sure Freddie doesn't die. So would you say that the gift was compassion or empathy? The gift is, as you state, compassion, it's empathy, and it is the ability to partner with people. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Part of my strength with the biggest celebrities in the world is not just my verbiage. There's a lot of guys that would like to do what I'm doing, and they just want to talk their way into it. That's not my thing. Sometimes I just sit with somebody. Sometimes you don't need to say anything. You just need to sit with them in that crisis. And they know I have answers. But they're just looking for somebody just to sit with them. That's my strength. Like, I could just name drop right here and tell you the biggest guys we got going that say, I'll tell you what damn Tim Story did is he just shut the hell up and sat with me. And to me, that's cool. Fascinating because Darren's story, my story of, of addiction and a really messy past is what led to compassion and empathy. And maybe it was there before, but it was covered up by other limiting thoughts and, and beliefs. But just to have that and to recognize it at such a young age and really just being your purpose, because really, I believe what purpose is all about is using your natural gifts and talents to serve. Yes. And it took a really messy pass for me to figure that out. But for you to get that at such a young age and implement it, man, it's unreal. It's inspiring. Yeah, thank you. But again, I'm still looking for Freddie. It's having an asthma attack. <laughs> so whatever all this stuff I get to do, as you guys know, I got a new book, uh, Miracle Mentality. They paid me a lot of money to do this book. So thank you, HarperCollins. You know, everybody backed my book. It's full of celebrities who backed it. We did a special book party just recently. We had close to 500,000 people on my book party. I'm doing all the shows, Today's Show. I'll do Oprah, Good Morning America, Steve Harvey. We'll do all that. But I still stop for Freddie. So whether it's the Uber Eats guy that rolls up, or the dude at the 7-Eleven, or the guy who pushes his shopping cart through my neighborhood all the time, and I pull over to dialogue with him, and I irritate the hell out of him. He keeps telling me, stop trying to talk to me. But, you know, I, I talk to him because that's somebody's kid. So this is just deep inside me. And this is what I'm about. I love that you're looking for the person that's not going to win. I know there may be a lot of people that are listening right now that 
maybe in a season where they don't feel like they're going to win. Their the adversity that they're facing may have knocked them to the ground, and I want them to be able to you know relate to you a little bit more. So my next question I want to ask you is, what was a situation in your life where you faced great adversity or you felt like you weren't going to win? Yeah, I would say my brother dying from addiction. So I'm Tim's story, and I'm working with Robert Downey and Charlie Sheen and everybody else, and yet, yet my own brother died from addiction. So I would say that was like the punch that almost finished me where I just said, damn, this is not good. Because I thought he was going to live. Because he, he was an engineer at McDonnell Douglas, very smart, sharp-looking man. And he just would go up and down and up and down and up and down. And so to me, that was a deep shot that I did not share with a lot of people. I did not like share the story. I just kept quiet, but I was quietly pissed off. I didn't like that one. So I think my brother would like me to continue to do what I'm doing. Because I believe in our case, I think a lot of it was passed down from generation to generation. Right. We got a lot of addiction in, in our background. Yeah. Um, one of the things I picked up from listening to you on other platforms, uh, one thing you said was to, to stop nursing, stop cursing, and to stop rehearsing. Uh, yeah. was, there a, was there a narrative or a mindset that you felt like you may have been nursing and cursing during those tough times and what helped you to, to shift out of that? Yeah, great question. So I think that the average person does nurse, curse, rehearse. Nurse it is feeling sorry for yourself. To curse it is my wife did it to me, my cousin did it to me, <laughs> the law did it to me, race relations did it to me, and a lot, a lot times that can happen and i personally felt that i was always cool with taking my own responsibility so i've never been a nurser cursor rehearser at all i just when i've been hit real hard like when my brother died i just had never been hit like that it was like being hit by mike tyson and then you got to say what do you got to do number one you got to get awake. Number two, you got to take inventory. Do I still have my teeth? Number three, you got to partner with the right people. And that's my strength. If, if I suck, I find somebody who doesn't. <laughs> I am not afraid to have a therapist. I'm not afraid to call a friend and say, I'm not feeling it right now. You know, I could have 30,000 people there to watch Tim's story speak. And they may see me with a posse with me and they're thinking like, oh, he's just rolling deep. No, I'm rolling with people that are lifting my spirits. I'm smart enough to know that I need an inflection of strength into me as well. Absolutely. Somebody needed to hear that. Um, you know, we often think that we're in control and that we know the best way for us to get the results that we want. But we soon realize once we get humbled that we're not in control like we thought we were and that we do need people on this journey. I know that for me, myself, there were so many people that tried to help me along my journey, but I was so hard headed and me thinking I had the right way. I had the right path and being yeah. a man meant that I had to be on my path by myself. And uh, it's amazing to hear, to hear you say that and to hear how that 
transformed your life. Um, yeah, I'm all, I'm all about the journey. And I'm cool with some of my faults, flaws, and failures. I'm not tripping on them. Uh, I really believe that everything is a slow turn. The slow turn is a better turn. I find it's very rare that somebody's able to change really quick. So they, they may bring me a celebrity, let's say like somebody's manager, and they'll say like, he needs to be fixed by this movie. And I'll say, that ain't going to happen. Now, he might be able to do his lines. He, he, he may be able to show up on time at the, on the set but he won't be fixed. And so I think that when we get into this understanding of the process of getting better, mm. there's such beauty in the process that you may not be what you want to be, but thank God you're not what you used to be. And so that's what Donnie's telling me. And that's what you're telling me. Heck yeah, we're growing. We're growing. That's how I see it. Bounce off of that. How tough do you think it is to get people in uh, who are famous and have status and have money? How hard is it to get them to detach from results and outcomes and possessions and focus on the process? I think the bigger, the biggest thing, because I get to deal with everybody, is more the trust factor. Is that most people that I work with, they work with other people that maybe their motives were not right, where they get starstruck or they want something from them and so who's in it for darren who's in it for donnie like who's in it for us make sense and so i i think that somebody that we would consider a celebrity their challenges are similar to ours relationship bad choices okay maybe addictions things in their family they're very similar but they're amplified because they might show up on TMZ where you may just fight with your girlfriend and it's between you guys. Make sense? So I think my strength has been, again, the fact that I just truly cared about the person and then others just started saying, he's the guy. Like we've never looked for one celebrity. And the way this has happened over all these years, which is now about 30, we became good at what we're good at. But I'm not good at everything, but I'm good at this. You mentioned something I had heard a while back about how there's a price to do what we do. And when you said that, it really struck... You said a lot of things. I've been following you for a while that really speak to my heart, but that's really one of them. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on that and really what that means to you? that there's a price to do what we do? Yes, I think that I was talking to Quincy Jones and I said to him about one performer, I said, why do you think that brother only had one hit? I'll never forget it was past midnight because Quincy likes to stay up late. And so he gets up, you gotta understand, he's in this big old mansion, just me and him, gets up, he goes, little brother, one of the greatest questions you've ever asked me. Because if I said the guy's name, you guys would know, he's had one hit. And Quincy said, there was more hits underneath. Watch this. There's more hits underneath. He said, but he was lazy. And he decided to live off that one hit. So powerful. And so I'm not lazy. So I'm not living off one hit. So 
if somebody's struggling with something and I don't know about it, I'm going to study it or I'm going to pay researchers. Like, look at this on my desk. This is all research. Okay. Everywhere you go and around here is full of research. I'm a fiend because the d deeper I go, I may have one word that can snap somebody out of a situation. And so Quincy liked that about me, about my work ethic, that in, in the case of this performer, not putting the performer down, he's cool, but he got lazy on the one hit. Too many people get lazy on the one hit. It could be like, I'm beautiful. There's a lot of beautiful people in LA, so good luck. Or I can sing and I made it to American Idol. So have a lot of people. So man, you got to dig and dig and, and then dig again and then dig and then dig. Yeah. And I like what you said about the process. We talk about trusting the process and falling in love with the process, like finding joy in it. There's a story that you told about an NFL football player that you had brought back to his childhood neighborhood and brought him on the swing step. And I think that has to do with the process. Can you share a little bit more about that story? That's one of my favorite stories, and it's such a famous guy, but I, I can't tell it. Even though he probably wouldn't even get mad. I can't tell who he is, but I'm going to tell the story. But this guy, he's well known. So he's telling me everything's wrong. Tim, everything is wrong. But we're driving in his Rolls Royce. And he's saying everything's wrong. But he had a few things wrong. But he said everything's wrong. So we're driving around. And he said, my mother wanted to see you, but she had to go get her hair done. <laughs> we were just talking. And since we had gone to lunch, I said, how far away does your mother live? He goes, well, it's my old neighborhood. She still likes living in the neighborhood. I said, okay. He goes, you want to see it? Like where I grew up? I go, yeah, we got time. So we go rolling through his neighborhood. And so he shows me the elementary school that he went to. And I said, let's go in. He goes, yeah, let's go in. I haven't been in here. He goes, who knows? Forever, I've never been in here. So we try to get in, and the gate's locked. So I go, come on, man. You're younger than me or more athletic. I said, let's go. So I jump the fence, old school. And you, there's a way to flip. So I flipped over. I still had it in me. And next thing you know, that brother, and he's famous. He goes, flip. And so we both land, and we're laughing. So I'm walking around the school. And he starts going, oh, man, that's where I was in fourth grade. And that's where I was in fifth grade. And, and that's, and he goes, oh, man, they still got the same swing sets. I go, let's go over there. He's a big guy, but he's not a lineman, but he's big enough. And he's rich, this guy. So I, I, said, I said, let's sit in the swing set. So we're sitting in the swing set, we're swinging, and we're talking. He just starts crying. And he goes, I know what you're doing to me. I said, what? <laughs> he said, you brought me back to the beginning. He, he could not stop crying. He said, 
from where I came from and what I have, my problems are about this big. It made a tiny little space in Zand. And I mean, he could not stop crying. But I think that that was a very powerful moment because to me, that was a place of gratitude. I go to the place of gratitude every day. Like, what a privilege to do whatever these people say I'm good at. <laughs> what a privilege. Yeah. I think that story is profound because I can put myself um, in his shoes. Yes. He went back to when he was younger and probably reconnected with that, that innocence and that honesty of who he was when he was a child and how he may have had to put so many masks on and make so many fronts growing older just to act like he was happy or to chase after these things. And like you said, he was riding in a Rolls Royce saying things were wrong. Yeah. Convertible too. And you know what, Darren, you got that. And so we talk about triggers in recovery, but there's positive triggers. So like I trigger myself every day, guys. I trigger myself through music by Stevie Wonder because it reminds me of good things about my childhood. I trigger myself through music of Al Green, of Marvin Gaye, of my good friend Smokey Robinson. I, every single day I listen to these people. Every day of my life, I trigger myself. So like a million things could be happening and somebody famous, ooh, somebody famous wants to talk to you about a project. I, I, I usually first trigger myself to remember I'm still little Timmy from Compton. Now, thank you very much that I guess I got some influence now. But I still trigger myself. And Donnie, that triggered that brother. When he went back to his old school, he went boom. That's amazing. Amazing, amazing story. And just the awareness to do that and what, how that connects the dots, even bringing us back to, like Darren said, that innocence and how it really can just shift our perspective by taking a step back. There's two topics that I definitely want you to touch on that I know you're big on. And one of them is meditation and the other one is forgiveness. Maybe we start with forgiveness because I know you have a saying, if you don't forgive, forget and go forward, you're going to retain, remember and regress. So can you touch on that and just the power of forgiveness and maybe how forgiveness has uh, shown up in your life? Donnie, for you doing that kind of research, I'm going to put you at the Oprah level. Because when Oprah interviews you, she quotes my stuff back. That was cool. You just, you just, you just spit those words like Jay Z. Those are my words. So here's the thing about forgiveness: is that you got to understand that a lot of what we're looking for is momentum. Kids think about summertime. Oh man, it's gonna be cool. There's gonna be momentum. Man, you hear about the new girl that moved in? Momentum. Man, I got a new bike. Momentum. Don't ever forget this. Momentum. Okay? But what happens in life is that there will be people that come into our lives and they don't know why, but they want to get us. They don't even know why. Mostly, it's jealousy and envy. And jealousy and envy are next-door neighbors. 
that talk a lot back and forth and probably share sugar and milk with each other. <laughs> so because of jealousy and envy, they attack us. If you, Darren, if you go back to your early days, there were jealous people that they attacked you. Donnie, jealous people will attack. You could even be in a rehab center and someone's trying to hurt you. So what happens is that when you have momentum and you're attacked, you're offended. There's an offense. There's an offense. You've offended me. There's an offense. Watch how cool this is. I never heard anybody say this in my life. An offense will put you on the defense. Offense puts you on the defense. That's why you got rivals in the NBA. That's why certain rock bands quit, stop working with each other. Teams break up because somebody offended, put them on the defense. Families break up. Father-in-law said something. Mother-in-law said something. The offense puts you on the defense. Now, if I let somebody offend me to the point where I'm now on the defense, They've now taken away my Tim Story flow. Because my Tim Story flow, as Donnie stated earlier, is my compassion, my gratitude, my acts of kindness, my helping Freddie, who's passing out because of asthma. If I'm too damn offended, I'm going to pass by Freddie. So I have got to forgive you. And I have to supernaturally ask God to help me forget. And then I have to supernaturally go forward. So when you are someone who's in the public eye like me, there are some people that have tried to take my legs out from underneath me. And I don't retaliate. I don't say things negative back in any form or fashion. I forgive. I forget. And I go forward. That doesn't mean they're going to go work with me or hang out when I can go back to the Laker games. But I'm not going to let the offense put me on the defense. There's so much freedom that comes with forgiveness. I like what you said about going forward. And um, speaking of going forward, a quote that you have that I really is a comeback is not a go back. Can you, can you tell the listeners what you mean by that? That is actually one of Oprah's favorites as well because it's so real. Because all of us guys, we made mistakes and we think to ourselves, if I could go back and fix that, if I could go and get her to understand why I did all that, because I wasn't in my right mind. Now, because I'm a 12 step guy as well, and I understand this whole idea of forgiveness and making amends, et cetera. I, I believe in apology, okay? But not everybody's going to accept your apology. Some people will run from it. Some people enjoy thinking they got something on you. So what I got to do is I have to fail forward. You know, I've been divorced before. So I have two amazing kids. They're both in the entertainment business. So sometimes some fool will come up to me and say, Oh, man, for a guy like you, you got it all. Why didn't your marriage work? But I could tell they're saying it not from a good spirit. They're saying it from a bad place. So I don't even give an answer. I'll say something like, man, isn't it amazing how many people showed up at this event? 
And I just started looking around. <laughs> because the Bible says that you don't have to answer a fool. Because a fool is somebody who knows better, but walks over the better that they know. So that guy that tried to hurt me before I'm about to go speak to 10,000 people, he doesn't deserve an answer. I like that because some people need to hear on their comeback journey. Not everyone's going to be for them. Everyone is not, it may not be a parade on your comeback story, but it's worth it. That adversity isn't going to stop you from where you want to go. It isn't going to hold nope. you back who you want to be. No, because why are you talking about my then when I'm living in my now? Mm. So do you really want to know that much about my marriage or, you know, a uh, uh, entertainer that failed or somebody that had a meltdown? Really? Why are you talking about my then when I'm living in my now? See, that's what's cool. See, Donnie, that was then. This is now. Darren, that was then. This is now. I'm living in the power of my now, right now. Speaking of presence, maybe we can end with this one, with meditation. I'm, I'm really curious. I know it's a huge part of your, your lifestyle and your practice and just your beliefs around it and how it's benefited your life. Changed my life. And since I was a kid, they took me to church at age four. And it was churchy. I mean, the guy talked long. <laughs> but then when I started getting more into like the Bible, like Jesus, the cool Jesus style. I got into Jesus at 17. And so I'm a God guy. I study the Bible every morning and I meditate and I pray and I play my problems down and then I pray them up. I play them down, my problems, and I, and I pray them up. Because when you do well, guys, a lot comes at you fast. So I got some fastballs come at me every day and the power of scripture and meditation has put me in such a state of peace that it's common that my friends say dude are you medicated <laughs> they go you like you're so chill it's you got like cool jazz just flowing in your mind that's that meditative state that i stay in and my own son he I'm thankful he lives with me right now because he's always traveled the world doing what he's done in production, et cetera. And that's a compliment that he gives me a lot of dad. Like I live with you and you stay in that state. So you can stay in the state. I don't pop in and out. I stay in it. Love it, man. There's so much fire and knowledge and inspiration. And we just want to thank you for your time. Maybe at some point we can, get you back on and dive deep into just real talk. I know you have a new book coming out called The Miracle Mentality, which it's cool. You can pre-order it on your website, which is timstory.com, right? It's story with an EY. I love that you gave access and we're allowing your fans to download the first chapter, yeah. which is really cool. I'm sure it's going to be fire. When does it launch? Where else can we find you? Yeah. And anything else you want to share? It comes out March 2nd. And it's, it's got big momentum. It's like a movement. I think that people realize we got to get back to the innocence of the miracle mentality. That the miracle mentality to me is not trying to find it. It's releasing it. Because people put crap all over our miracle mentality. When we were a kid, we thought we could do something. Like, what are you playing with? Spider-Man, Superman, Iron Man, 
No one said, I'm playing with loser, man. You were thinking big. So I teach you how to release your innocence. And this book, this book's fire, man. Took me two and a half years to write. Nick Childs, who also is a guest professor at Princeton, helped edit the book. And the momentum is huge. Like people are really behind it. So thank you guys for being behind it. So you can get it on Amazon or go to timstory.com and find out all the other things. But I will tell you, let's do a round two again, because I really like you guys. Absolutely, man. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for your time. And thank you for embodying what a comeback is and everything that you do, man. Been blessed to have you here. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. This is what I represent. Staying true till I'm six down. It might take a little bit, but every king's gonna get crowned.